So you're scrolling through <clears throat> Facebook and this conversation comes up in your feed, all right? Um, let's have a look. Let's see. We're just we're scrolling through Facebook and you see there's a status update, all right? No, I have that exam tomorrow and I haven't studied like all term. Oh my gosh. Don't worry, Bab. You will get 100%. I just know it, hon. Maybe even more. Um, how? Do you have like the answers or something for me? How will I get 100%? Because I am with you, Bab. I'll be with you. Seriously, I believe in you, girl. Plus, you take the hardest selfies ever. Illy. Um, okay, thanks, baby. Oh, and are you going to late night? I won't go if Tiffany goes because she lied about screenshotting my Snapchat. Inbox me, Bab. XOXOXO. Ah. So you're looking at Facebook, and that's on your news feed, all right? Um, and there's, I don't know, there's probably a few different issues with that. Um, but one thing about it, her comfort to a friend about the exam, her advice, um, her solution, I will be with you. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's kind of empty. It's not really helpful. It's like, I haven't studied. I don't know anything. How will I get 100%? Because I'll be with you. She's like, oh, thanks. I still don't know anything, um, but thanks. Apparently, taking the hottest selfies can help in an exam too. Um, not sure how that works. But I will be with you. What does that even mean? Um, is that really enough to help you pass or not just pass, get 100% in an exam? Uh, would you feel more confident about your exam now after that conversation? Beb? Yeah? Uh-huh. Um, all right. And yet, here we are in Judges where it seems like something pretty similar is happening to that, yeah? Um, just to give you some context, because Judges, it's a long time ago, right? Um, and so I'm just going to give you just some history so you know where we're at, okay? So a few things. At this point in history, Israel, God's people, has suffered for seven years um, being smashed by the Midianites, all right? Which is just another nation that's nearby, right? And these guys have just been smashing them. Every time Israel plants crops and gets the ball rolling, all these other nations would come in and just like strip away all their crops, take away all the stuff and smash them. And so they'd actually have to constantly, repeatedly keep running away. They'd have to live up in the mountains and hide away in caves. Right? They didn't have their own land because every time they'd start getting stuff going, people would come in and take everything they just built, take all the crops they just planted. Um, and so they're fleeing for their lives. And this is going on for seven years, all right? So this isn't just like a one-off, ooh, Devo bar. It's like a long-term, this sucks sort of thing. All right? And so for seven years of being smashed by these guys, there's no expectation that like all of a sudden Israel is going to be able to fight back and just smash the Midianites successfully, okay? It's been loud and clear that they are overpowered, all right? Um, but if you've got your Bibles, have a look at 14 to 16. Chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. Um, so there's no reason to expect that they'd be able to fight back against the Midianites. But God comes and says to a guy called Gideon, The Lord turned to him and said, this is verse 14, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now notice, God says, go out, smash the Midianites. He says, how would I ever do that? All right? He goes, how would I do that? And God's answer, he pretty much just repeats the same thing. He says, you will strike down the Midianites. The only difference is, the only added extra info he gives is that I will be with you. So he's saying, how would that possibly happen? He's like, I'll be with you. That's all he's got to go off here. He didn't say it'll happen because I'll give you 100,000 extra soldiers. 
or that I'll make all your guys, you know, you'll all be heaps stronger, you'll all be heaps buff. In fact, in verse 14, he, sa- he specifically says, go with the strength you have. He says, go with the strength you have, go with what you got. There's no more information given on how this would ever happen at this point beyond the fact that God's just saying, I'll be with you. Um, and like you kind of might have thought with that Facebook conversation, you might kind of go, well, that's kind of weak. Um, how is that actually going to change anything? Okay, that might sound nice, but what does it actually mean? Um, why doesn't God offer anything else? Why doesn't he actually seem to give more here? Well, I'll kind of summarize it pretty quickly and just say, well, basically it's because God has nothing more to offer Gideon or to us. That's it. That he would be with Gideon is actually the most God can give. So how does that sound to you? How does that make you feel? Um, how would you feel if you're Gideon in his situation, but also thinking now the fact that God is saying in this massively challenging situation, he's saying, I'll be with you. That's, that's what you got. That's what I'm offering. Um, now, um, we're going to think that through, and um, I'll just like give you some quick history because there's a lot of stuff in those chapters that you might not know. But I'll tell you the ending of the story. Israel ends up nailing the Midianites, and they end up winning, just like God said they would. They would all right? So we're going to spend some time looking into it and working out how does that actually happen. All God said is, I'll be with you. How does it actually work? Um, there's a couple of points I want to make that will help us understand that. The first thing I want to make is um, that we don't realize that we reject God. All right? Something we don't realize we reject God, and we see that really clearly with Israel. Okay? Now, if you're not following me, we reject God. We turn away from him. He is God. He is king. We don't treat him like God or king. All right? He's our loving father, our creator, and our Lord, and we reject him. But on top of that, we often don't even see the problem with this. We often don't even realize that's what we're doing. All right? And Israel was guilty of this, and they didn't even realize they were guilty of it. All right? Have a look at verse 7, chapter 6, verse 7. You got your Bibles? Verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the land of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Now, just to make clear what's happening there, Israel's cried out to God for help, okay, to get them out of this bad situation. But instead, God is just at the moment just sending a prophet to explain why they're in the bad situation. They're like, God, get us out of this. And he's just like, yeah, this is why you're in it. Um, Instead of um, giving the solution, he gives the explanation, right? which is that they have turned from God. You haven't listened to me. I've done all this stuff, and, you, and I told you all these things, and you didn't listen. See, the prophet's message doesn't even suggest that the problem will be fixed. It just kind of says, you know, they've cried out for help, and God's answer is like, yeah, you stuffed up. Um, the story could just end there, all right? There, there doesn't actually need to be anything more past that point. The story could just end there. They should just expect... Hopeless judgment. They go, oh, yeah, we stuffed up. This is what you said would happen. That sucks. Um, uh, We shouldn't um, expect all of a sudden for God to turn things around. And yet, when things look really bleak, the very next thing we see is God telling this guy, Gideon, that he will be with them and he is going to save them and rescue them from Midian, even though they don't deserve it. He's going to save them from the judgment that they do deserve. So you might ask, 
why does he bother sending the prophet then? If he just, just right after that, he brings in Gideon, who's going to raise up, the, like do all this crazy stuff, and he's going to end up helping them be free from Midian. You might wonder, why does he bother sending the prophet then? Why doesn't he just cut to the chase and rescue them? You know, come on, God, stop raining. Just hurry up and fix the problem. Well, the reason is because Israel needs more than to be rescued from the problem. They need more than that. They actually need their eyes open to why they are in the problem. They really need to be helped with that. See, they are guilty of sin, rejecting God, like I said, and they don't even see it. God already warned Israel ages before all this stuff was going on that this judgment would happen if they had, if they had rejected God. Ages before they'd entered the land. He had warned them. And yet here they are with this judgment going, where did this come from? Why did this happen? Because they've forgotten the whole thing, even though God had warned them. And so he sends a prophet to remind them again and says, this has happened because I, like I said it would, and you haven't listened to me, and so now you've brought judgment on yourself. And yet in verse 13, when God comes before Gideon, Gideon says, well, if you're with us, then why has all this judgment happened? Why has all this bad stuff happened? I don't understand. Just after he sent a prophet reminding them for the second time. So even as God is explaining, guys, this is happening because you haven't listened to me, they still aren't really listening. Gideon still doesn't get it. He's going, I don't get it. Why is all this bad stuff going on? Um, Verse 10, God explains how Israel has not listened to him. And they're not listening to him just as he does it. Now, guys, I want us to say that actually this is just like us. You might not think that. You You might go, no, no, no. I know more than the Israelites. Let me kind of give you an illustration. Imagine if uh, you know, stuff was heaps hard in your life. Um, maybe you don't have to imagine that. Maybe stuff is hard. Um, you're suffering. You're tired. You might even be afraid for your life. Okay, your life might be in danger. Just think of some hectic, intense situation. You're running for your life, right? It's life or death, whatever you're in, okay? And you cry out for help because you've got no hope and you realize this is like going to be game over soon. And so you cry out for help. And then out of nowhere... The Lord God comes down and appears before you. How do you feel? You've been crying out for help. He comes down before you. Do you feel comforted? Do you feel relieved? I was crying out, now you're here. Well, I'm going to give you an example here from what we've just been looking at. Because Gideon's actually afraid for his life. He's afraid to go up against Midian. He's heaps scared. And he cries out for help along with the rest of Israel. And God comes down to him after he's cried, down for, after he's cried out for help. So let's have a look, go to verse 22, and we're going to see what was Gideon's response when he came before God. He cried out for help. He was afraid for his life. He cries out for help. He realizes God is before him. Let's see if he seems comforted or relieved. Verse 22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. First, what he says is, alas. I mean, that's an expression of grief and sorrow and, and wow, this is bad. God has to actually go, no, 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 do not be afraid. You're not going to die. See, he's not going, oh, yeah, God's here. Come comforted. He actually realizes, hold on, that's actually, I'm guilty. Actually, I should be expecting judgment. See, he didn't get it before. Before, Gideon's like, why is all this stuff going on? I didn't get it. I thought you were with us. What's the deal? But now it's actually... He's become a bit more insightful and he's realized, hold on, if I haven't listened to you, if I'm guilty, then it's like, that's like breaking the law, committing a crime, and then the cops show up. Okay? Yeah, cops that can, that can be there to protect you, but if you're guilty, then that's going to mean you're facing the punishment. And so 
we might automatically think, like, um, like you look here, the, the assurance that, that God, it really is God doesn't comfort him. It terrifies him. Now, we have confidence that God will have mercy on us. I think most of us kind of go, oh, yeah, he's a forgiving God because we know about Jesus now. Yeah, and that makes sense. But our problem is that we run straight to that and forget the whole reason Jesus came. We go, yeah, Jesus, he forgives. But we run to it and we forget that actually he came because we're guilty. Um, The reason Jesus came was because we actually deserve God's anger. God hates sin so much that for him to accept us, which he wants to because he loves us, for him to accept us, Jesus had to die in our place. That's how severe sin is. And he rose again, praise God. But the point is that just like Israel, we also forget about our sin. We numb ourselves to how heavy it is. We forget the weight of it and what it would mean to actually come before God, just like Israel. And so a few things that you can pick up from this. Right? Firstly, listen to God. Uh, don't be like Israel that was warned and didn't listen and not only were guilty, but they were so blinded by it, they didn't even realize they had stopped listening to God. They didn't actually even get the problem. So listen, be aware of it. Don't be like Israel that keeps forgetting and keeps disobeying. The other thing is, recognize that you turn from God. Um, the Israelites hadn't realized that. God had to send them out a prophet just to point it out to them. Instead of just fixing the problem, God did fix it. But first, he had to actually open their eyes to why they had the problem. Because they didn't see their problem of sin. They didn't realize they had turned from God. They'd forgotten. So for ourselves, we want to recognize we've got that problem. The other thing is, remember that God's grace is something that um, we don't deserve. And that's actually what makes God's love for us so amazing. So we can treat God's forgiveness like it's something he owes us. Um, But forgiveness, you don't owe someone forgiveness because if you did, it wouldn't really be forgiveness. The whole point is they've done something wrong and you are graciously going, I'm not holding it against you. God doesn't owe us that. We shouldn't go, well, of course he would. Um, It's actually amazing that he does. And so if you feel like it's something that he owes you, you won't actually realize how much God loves you. As soon as you realize, whoa, actually that shouldn't have to be the case, then you go, whoa, God loves me that much. It's something we don't deserve, but that's what makes his love so amazing, that even while we were sinners, he would love us and want to accept us. All right. Um, The next point that hopefully might help us a bit um, understand um, God's power and why him being with us is important is that God's strength is shown in our weakness. God's strength is shown in our weakness, all right? Um, now, Israel is pretty weak. Gideon's pretty weak. Um, I don't have time to go through all the examples, but I just thought I'd just show you that they are in there, all right? Um, first of all, you've got Gideon's army is 300 against hundreds of thousands, all right? And we will spend a little bit of time on that, okay? Israel is smashed by other nations, all right? The fact that they were oppressed for seven years, they're clearly overpowered. They're not very strong, all right? Gideon's clan is the weakest in Manasseh. So Israel's weak. And Gideon's from one of the weakest clans. And then also you find out that actually he's one of the weakest in his family from the clan. So he's like the lowest of the lowest of the low. All right, that's Gideon. Gideon was afraid. Gideon needs assurance of God's help. He, he, he realized, like, oh, I can't do this. He needs to know that God can help him. And then he's afraid at another point as well. So all through this, you kind of get the, the fact that these guys aren't these epic things. All right? That's not what's going on. Um, now I'm going to spend some time focusing on one of those. The first one, go to chapter 7, verse 2. Uh, Judges 7, verse 2. Cool. Verse 2. 
the Lord said to Gideon, this will help you realize how much they are outnumbered and how like, small they are compared to what they're doing. All right, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. They would say my own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Guys, just, just to give you a heads up, the Midianites, we're talking like over like 120,000 dudes. And he's saying, what, 32,000 is too many. And it goes to 10,000. And God goes, 10,000 is still too many. You've got 300. All right, now, go up against the Midianites. Because I want you to see that actually it's not your own strength that saved you. It's me. And you guys get that? Um. So God, Israel is obviously weak. They depend entirely on God. Okay? But the problem we keep say, seeing is that God's people forget that. Remember, they hadn't listened to God. They depend on Him completely, but they forget that, and they stop trusting in God, and they start trusting in themselves. Now, this is a pretty crazy thing when you think about it, but I want to point out, the more God gives them gifts, the more God um, lovingly builds up Israel into a strong nation, the less... Israel appreciates him. The more he gives them, the less they appreciate him. Because they look around and they go, man, we've got all this sweet stuff. We don't need God. Uh, we don't need him. We've got plenty. Even though it was God that gave them that stuff. All right? um, so the more God gives us, the less we end up appreciating him. He has to actually show us our weakness and humble us. For us to see his strength and realize he's actually the one working through us. He has to actually remind us of our weakness. Um, Which means, if God is the one that's working through me, if I boast and show off, I'm not just being arrogant randomly. Yeah, I'm not just arrogant. I'm arrogant against God. Because the glory should go to him, but I'm stealing it. I'm claiming it for myself. So if I'm showing off, it's like um, someone wrote a song and then you claim it was your song that you wrote and you thought you were heaps good, okay? then you're not just being arrogant and thinking that you're better than you are. You're actually undermining someone else's gift. You're actually taking the, what should have gone to them. And so if God's working through us and he's actually working through all things, then for us to boast and go, yeah, look how good I am, look at my strength, isn't just annoying because it's arrogant. It's actually against God. You might not even think of God while you're doing it, but your boasting is against him. It's taking the credit that should be his. And so, guys, the best thing for Israel, this is, this is an important thing, the best thing for Israel isn't just to be saved, it's to actually know that it was God who saved them. The best thing isn't just for them to be saved in itself, it's actually so important for them to know that it was God who saved them. They need to see their weakness to realize how strong God is. They need to know that, and God makes such a point of it, to the point of bringing them down to 300 men, just to make it as clear as possible. And so otherwise they will say, my own strength has saved me. 
which will lead to them trusting in themselves, not God. And remember, that's the whole problem that got them into this mess in the first place. That's the whole reason why they're in this problem with Midian, because they trusted in themselves and not God. And so the best thing for us isn't just to be saved, and this matters for us too. The best thing for us is to actually remember that it was God, He was the one who saved us. Um, have a look. There's a passage that's going to come up on the screen. You don't need to flick there. Um, it's from Hebrews in the New Testament. And actually, um, this is like hundreds and hundreds of years later, okay? A long time later. But it's looking back in history um, about what happened with Gideon. And it tells us some key things about him, all right? I'm going to read it out. I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Um, So there you've got... um, specifically the Bible recognizing this is what was so amazing about these guys who had faith. We saw their weakness turn to strength because of their faith in God. Who's in the movie 300? Put your hand up. Uh, some of you have? All right, cool. It's kind of like just 90 minutes of abs if you haven't seen it, so you're not missing much. It's all right. Um, so um, the whole hook of the movie, all right, is how epic it is that these 300 guys would take on these massive armies, all right? They're taking on Persia. And, and so... The whole appeal of the movie is going, man, these guys, these Spartans, must be so strong and epic because they're able to take on these armies, all right? Now, um, that was actually a real historical event, just so you know. It wasn't exactly how it was in the movie. But um, there were accounts of of Sparta doing this. The main difference, though, is that when Israel did it, they actually won. God was with them. Um, But you're going to get the point here that the, the, the smaller the number is, that's what shows how strong the Spartans are. You get that in the movie. That's the whole point of, wow, you did that with only 300 guys? And so that's what God's showing us. He's showing the, the, the smaller we are, the fact that we're, we're able to do these things actually goes, wow, how strong is God that look what he's doing through Gideon, who's the weakest in his family from the weakest clan in a weak nation. Um, but guys, it's not just here in, in, with Gideon. It's all through the Bible. I mean, think David and Goliath. That's a classic example. You've got this small dude who's a farm boy, well, like the youngest brother or whatever, and he takes on this giant dude and owns him, all right? So obviously there, you've got an example that he was God, one of God's people, God was with him, and God showed his strength through the weak. He used the weak p- p- people to shame the strong and, and, and make people realize how epic God was. Um, but it's, it's all through the Bible and the whole gospel, the whole message of what it means to be a Christian is the fact that we can't pull this off ourselves. We are guilty. We're sinners. And so Jesus ha- rescues us. Jesus comes in, <clears throat> died on the cross, faced the debt in our place because he lived a perfect life that we couldn't. And so on, because of him, now we are saved. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever um, asked any of these questions, but why did God let Adam and Eve turn from him in the garden? If he's, you can just control people, make them like robots. Why didn't he create people in a way that they never sinned? Why send Jesus to save us and forgive us instead of just making us perfect in the first place so we didn't need to be forgiven? Because, guys, as we cry out in helplessness to God to be saved, He is glorified. As we see our weakness and we actually have our guilt that He needs to rescue us from, He shows His strength in our weakness. Um, 
as the one who saves us. Not by what we did, but by what Jesus achieved for us on the cross. There's a quick verse that's going to come up on the screen from Ephesians in the New Testament. It shows us how, it's, how Jesus is the hero, not us. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Right, that's, that's the gospel right there. God's strength is shown in our weakness. That's what he's trying to show us. Um, and so we praise him. He did it, not us. So a couple of things that we can take from that is be humbled. Right? It's not relying on you. It's, it's, you're not the, the hero that is in control of everything. You're not like, oh yeah, I can trust in myself. Look how epic I am. Actually, you're realizing I can't pull this off. I need God. You need to humble yourself. You're not going to get why Jesus is important. If you're new to this, you haven't been around, you kind of go, everyone talks about Jesus. Eh, he's not really for me. I don't get it. You're not going to get why you need Jesus if you haven't first acknowledged the problem, if you haven't realized how far you fall short of God. When you get that, you're going to be like Gideon was and go, alas, I've seen God face to face. I'm stuffed. And then God goes, no, you do not need to be afraid. You will not die. I'm with you. Okay? Um, so be humbled. It's not relying on you. The other thing is, be comforted. It's not relying on you. It's not um, on your shoulders. Because if you do get how much you fall short, if you do realize, actually, we're not perfect, actually, we are, we, we are guilty in so many ways, and actually, I am flawed, then to hear that actually it's not relying on you, it's relying on a perfect Savior, is the best news ever. It's the biggest relief. So while you, remembering our weakness and God's strength should humble you, and you should be challenged by it, it should also comfort you, because it's the best thing. That's a good thing to realize that actually we're relying on Jesus, not, not ourselves. I'm much happier to know that I'm relying on Jesus, not myself. Um, so bringing it all together, what does this mean for us? In a nutshell, it means that God is enough. Gideon takes 300 men against over 100,000 and they win. Why? Because God was with them. Remember, he didn't, he didn't give them 100,000 extra soldiers. He didn't say, you'll win because of this, you'll win because of this. Gideon's asking, how will it happen? And he says, because I'll be with you. So, the question now becomes, are you satisfied in God alone? Do you really believe that God is enough? Do you really believe that? God, so Gideon needs assurance that it is, that it is God. He's like, oh, is this really God talking to me? But even when he knows that it is God, all right, and he goes, whoa, alas, it's really you. And, Gideon, and God says, you will not die, I'm with you. Even after that happens, Gideon still finds it hard to believe. Um, he still needs assurance that God will actually keep his promise and save them from Midian. He still goes, no, man, that, that, that's too much. How is that possible? Um, have a look at verse 36 of, 36 of chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, verse 36. says, Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day, and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. But then he still is freaking out. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. 
allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. So you see like again and again, God, like Gideon keeps needing more assurance. He's like, are you really enough? He's struggling. To, he, he wants to have faith in it, but he's struggling. He's like, God, show me. Help me to have faith in you and realize that you are enough, that you will be with me in this, that you have power and you can do these things. Um, and so Gideon found it a struggle. Do you guys find it a struggle? How do you go at trusting that God is enough? How do you go at being satisfied in him alone? At the beginning of this talk, I asked um, when we looked at what God said to Gideon, I said, why doesn't God offer anything else? And I said, well, basically, it's because God has nothing more to offer. Gideon or us, that's just it. That he would be with Gideon is the most God can give. And at the beginning, you might have thought that sounded weak. That's it. That's, that's the most he's got. He's going to say, I'll be with you. But guys, the reason that God being with us is the most that God can give is because there is nothing else greater than him. The greatest gift God could obviously ever give us is himself. And obviously we see that most when he gave his life for us on the cross. That he is with us. Nothing could be greater than God. If you've got God, what could possibly be better than that? What more is there? It doesn't answer your questions about the details or how would that work in my life. If God is with me, is it going to be easy? Is it going to be hard? It doesn't answer your question about what that's going to look like. You don't know, okay, well, then that's going to be easy and I'll just do this. Um, because God didn't tell Gideon much at first. He didn't say, well, it's going to work because of this and this. He could have mapped it out blow by blow and told Gideon exactly what was going to happen. But all Gideon had to rely on, all Gideon knew was God saying, I'll be with you. That's all you need to know. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen, but I'll be with you. Um, and so you don't need to know any more than that to have complete confidence. If you're a Christian and you go, yeah, God is with me, and you know that, you don't need to know any more to still be able to have complete confidence because you know that you have God. Um, his promise to be with us is not an empty promise like those 12 years on Facebook, right? His promise is not an empty promise. It's the greatest promise. Because no matter how bad the odds look, no matter how weak we are, God is strong. Now, I'm about to finish, but just before I do, I want to bring it in and make it a bit more personal. And I want you guys to really think about how you, whether or not you are satisfied in God alone. So ask yourselves, are you satisfied in God alone? Even if you're single. Um, as an example, all right? Uh, do you find yourself, have you ever felt like you're not as complete as other people if you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend right now? You have this craving for someone's attention and love and affection and you want, you want to feel loved by someone. You don't feel like you're loved enough and so you want to feel loved by someone. You want attention or affection or whatever. Um, if you're a Christian, you have something so much more than that. If you're a Christian, you have something so much more than even a husband and a wife have. Guys, you have the attention, the love, and the affection from the creator of the universe. Your heavenly father loves you. Are you satisfied in God alone even if you have a miserable season of sport? Or if you um, feel like you're letting yourself down heaps with music, you're going heaps bad with that. Or you love this subject at school and you are heaps keen to go well in it and then you go heaps worse in the test than you thought you would. You thought, I thought I could do better than that. Are you... Um, how many of you have felt like when you've got something you're good at, whether it's school stuff or sport or music or art or whatever, that you feel like your identity becomes now, like, I'm the guy that's good at this. 
or this is the stuff I love to do. Which means after a while, you have this standard for yourself. And if you fall short of that standard that you've, you've put on yourself, you feel like you're incomplete. Oh, but I thought I was the smart guy. And so if I went bad, then I'm not even that anymore. What am I? Like, I'm not, I'm not satisfied in myself. Or you feel like you won't have the approval of the people around you because you, you aren't up at the standard you thought. So people won't approve of me. Um, like, you need to reach that standard that if you fall short, you won't be satisfied in yourself as a person. Guys, you have God. You have His approval, not because of how good you are or how well you did in the test, but because Jesus set the test for you and He nailed it. He was perfect in your place. And you have the approval of the Creator of the universe, our Lord and God. He approves of you and He accepts you because of Jesus. Are you satisfied in God alone? Um, what if all your friends here at youth, you know, in your J team or your year group or whatever, um, what if all of them um, moved away or they just stopped coming? Right? They just stopped coming and so you ended up going to a youth group where you didn't know many people. Um, would you be satisfied in God enough to keep coming? Imagine that. They all stop and you're left by yourself. Are you satisfied in God enough to be able to keep coming without them? What if God just said, you've got me. I'm with you. That's enough. Would you be okay with that? I want to be honest, guys. When I was thinking about that myself, I would find that so hard. I would find that extremely hard. But I know that God is enough. And that's what I've got to challenge myself with. I'm going to finish with a passage from the Bible. All right, This is from the New Testament. And it's up on the screens. Um, and this is a guy called Paul. Um, and he's talking about how... He could so easily be full of himself and conceited and arrogant. And so to, to stop him from being arrogant and, and conceited, God had to actually remind him of his weakness. But Paul, when he realized, he became so thankful for it. I'm going to read this out and then I'll finish. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak... Then I'm strong. If God is with us, we have enough. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you would give us the greatest gift that you would say to us, I will be with you. Not because we've treated you right, just like Israel. Israel had turned from you and they had not listened to you and yet you would still come to them and say, well, I'll be with you and I will rescue you out of this. But thank you also that as you do that, you don't let us continue to be blind, that you make clear to us that, um, that we are in this situation because we have turned from you. Please help us to see that, to see that we've turned from you. And please help us to see that the solution is not in ourselves. We aren't going to find that by trusting in ourselves. But actually the solution to the problem is to realize that you are strong because of what you've done through Jesus in our place on the cross. And I pray that all of us here would see our weakness and your strength, that you would be glorified and we would turn to you and you would... Um, save us as your people uh, to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.